Hey, listener, this is Jimmy Pardo from the award-winning podcast, Never Not Funny. You are listening to PF's Tape Recorder. Turn it up! Hello there, I'm PF, this is my tape recorder. Coming up, author, comedian, talk show host, and surf instrumental aficionado Greg Brent discusses, among other things, my favorite band, the Beach Boys. But I don't have a problem with the Beach Boys at all. But I don't also, I I classify surf music as the instrumental genre. You know, the Beach Boys were a, shouldn't be lumped in surf music, they were a pop, you know, they were like an incredible pop band. You know, they were incredible, um, they're just an incredible band. We'll hear more from Greg in just a bit. The song of the week is from Sia, picked out personally by Fangirl. And, of course, we have a dumb bit to start things off. Time now for another installment of... What kind of nonsense is that? So this week the Supreme Court was supposed to hear uh, and rule on a Texas bill called Texas HB 12. In a nutshell, it uh, closes a lot of uh, abortion clinics uh, around the state of Texas and uh, limits them down to, I think, only like 10 statewide for the second largest state in the union. Now, I understand that, you know, th- this is the one area with the conservatives where I get it. I get the argument. I, un- I understand. I'm very sympathetic. I'm, I'm still uh, leaning more toward the pro-choice side because when you, you know, add up the pluses and minuses. But, um, okay, I, I get the argument. But... <laughs> Uh, th- this isn't really what this is about. I mean, they, they say it's it's one thing. And Samantha Bee did a very nice thing on this on her show, uh, The Naked Truth, over on TBS. Check that out. But I was listening to NPR, and they were talking to the uh, state representative. His name is Jason Isaacs, who uh, put this bill forth. And, uh, you know, it, it, there will still be in the big metro areas like Dallas and Houston, though, there will be clinics. But uh, he said this. Texas State House member Isaac replies that women who live two or three hundred miles from the nearest clinic should acknowledge that reality. Well, hopefully they'll be more preventative. You mean not get pregnant? Not get pregnant, yes. And realize that, hey, that might still be an option legally, but now I live 300 miles away from the nearest place, I should probably be more careful. And there you have it. I think that tells you all you need to know. Well, that and besides. What kind of nonsense is that? This episode of PF's Tape Recorder is brought to you by Home Shirts Cleveland. For all of your Northeast Ohio vintage t-shirt needs, visit homeshirts.com forward slash Cleveland. You'll also find links to the original Cincy Shirts site, as well as Home Shirts Indianapolis, with more cities to come. That's homeshirts.com forward slash Cleveland. Now, on with the show. Greg Barron is a stand-up comedian, author, and former talk show host. Hopefully to be a talk show host again. He's uh, working on that. And you may know him uh, as the guy who wrote the book, He's Just Not That Into You. But we're into him. Here now is our interview with Greg Barron. Hello? Hello, Greg. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you perfectly. Okay, cool. Yeah, I can hear you fine. Okay, great. <laughs> All right. Um, and did your uh, your publicist tell you that I wanted to use this uh, audio for my podcast as well? Is that cool? I assume so. Yeah. Okay. And I don't have a publicist. That's nice of you to say. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. That's well, me... just my that's just my manager's assistant. All right. Well, let me yeah. uh, let me welcome you in here. Uh, joining us on PS Tape Recorder is Greg Barrett. Greg, how you doing? 
We're doing really good, man. I, I hope our connection isn't horrible. I, I have a cell phone in a bad part of the valley. Okay, well, we'll, uh, we'll try to muddle through here. Um, yeah. We, we spoke years and years ago, probably about 2007-ish, I think, for Cleveland Scene, because it was after the talk show. But um, And then uh, you uh, didn't tour much again uh, after I spoke to you that one time, or at least you didn't come to the markets that I write for. And so um, I hear you on Pardo's podcast a lot. I'm thinking now that I started my podcast a couple of years ago, I was like, that's the one guy I, I still got to get to be on the podcast is Greg Barron, because Pardo speaks very highly of you, of course. Yeah, well, Pardo's insane, but um, <laughs> but that's really nice of you to say. And I, yeah, and and it's interesting that you bring that up because this weekend is the podcast-a-thon. Oh, that's right. Um, his his uh, his Smile Train Charity um, podcasting marathon, and uh, uh, and I'm going to go back and do that again. So, oh, cool. Yeah, I love Jimmy. He's awesome. Yeah, I'm talking to him uh, later, but about an hour, as a matter of fact. But uh, oh, cool. Unfortunately, I misplanned this. I forgot it was uh, Smile Train Week. It was the podcast, so I'm only going to be able to chat to him for about a few minutes. He's not going to be able to do the podcast this time around, but that's fine, because uh, that that forced me to move up this interview, because this isn't due till the end of March, but I figured, well, I'll just, maybe I'll talk to Greg for this week's show, and we'll get that sorted. Right on. There you go, man. So, uh, gosh, so many places... To, to, <laughs> I'm glad your schedule worked out. I know. Uh, boy, so many places to uh, to start this. Um, first of all, i got to tell you, my nephew-in-law, huge fan of Walking the Room, Um. Oh, wow, right on. Yeah, a show I also enjoyed. But when I first started doing this, uh, he said, oh, I listen to some podcasts. Do you ever listen to Walking the Room? I'm like, oh, yeah, I do, as a matter of fact. And uh, But he's a massive fan, him and his buddy uh, Logan. And that inspired them, I think, to start their podcast. But, of course, life got in the way, as it often does. And uh, Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah Walking the Room was great. I'm very proud of it. I'm very, very proud of it. It's a, it's, um, it was a really interesting part of my life. Um, not maybe one that I want to revisit. Um, but, uh, but I'm glad that it's all in audio, um, for my daughter to dig up later on and then just be entirely disappointed in their dad. <laughs> there you go. Um, so you kind of got in on the ground floor of the podcasting thing in a way, I guess, because that was quite a while ago that you did that. Yeah. Um, it was really Dave's idea, you know. Jimmy had his, and Marion had his, and we wanted to do one, and we didn't want to get guests because it just seemed too hard. And it was Dave's idea, and um, and so we just we just went after it, and it was a really good thing for me because I think coming off the talk show, you know, I there wasn't much of an internet then, and I think I confused or maybe even lost some of my comedy fan base, or some people didn't think that I even pursued it anymore so um I uh it really helped in that in that way people were very kind about the podcast and it got its own very intense um group of fans that have been that are still you know really really supportive and kind it's, it's got a cult following yeah for sure yeah Dave said the other day we did a live one at the San Francisco sketch fest just a while ago we revisited every once in a while and uh he said the other day, he goes, dude, we're like OG uh, podcasting. And I was like, oh, my God, that's hilarious. <laughs> and now you've got the uh, Flying Falcon podcast. I'm like 20 minutes into the pilot episode uh, with Karen Kilgariff as your guest, and it's hilarious. And uh, Thank you. That thank you, just, thank you, yeah, thank you. I was chuckling um, out loud at my desk. You know, that thing is just sort of a, um, yeah, it's a, that's a little bit of a fly by the seat of your pants. Somebody gave me an hour to fill 
yeah. at, the, at the improv, and that's what I decided to do with it. And so I'm still sort of kind of figuring out what that show is. Um, and then I'm doing another podcast. I do another podcast with the old lead singer of Thelonious Monster, who is also Dr. Drew's partner in Celebrity Rehab called Just Keeping Them Alive. Oh, wow. Which is a podcast about raising kids. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. I thought I saw something about that somewhere. Yeah. Um, yeah, so... Yeah. And so, you, I guess... You, you this know, year, I wasn't interested in doing any podcast, to be honest with you. I kind of didn't want to do anything that wasn't, you know, walking the room. But I got... I just sort of then realized, because I've been touring so much, that it was important to have that voice out there every week. Yeah, it's, true. it's, a, it's a good way to put butts in the seats, for sure. Um so, I mean, you have experience at giving uh, advice to an extent, I suppose, you could, you could say, with a successful book and all. But So how did, did the uh, did parenting advice thing come naturally, or did it, since it's a different field, sort of, did you have some trepidation? You just approach it with the same way that I approach the books, which is just, you know, um, this has been my experience. You know, we don't really talk as much about, like, how to do it as much as, like, oh, my God, what is happening? Yeah. It's really more of a like just a diary of two guys trying to hold it together while they parent their kids. You know, he's um, a little bit older than me, and he's got um, a 23-year-old son from one broken marriage and a, um, a five-year-old boy from another broken marriage, and now he and his girlfriend are about to have a baby. Oh, wow. Right? And then I just uh. have two girls that are 10 and 13. Okay. And I'm still married. And so we come from different places in the world with our marriages and and um, and our lives and our kids, but we connect in the idea of like what's the way to do this? I don't know that there is one. Hmm. You know, that's why it's called just keep them alive. <laughs> yeah. Um, so did you have a chance to to? I guess you had a chance to be with your girls as they were growing up in those formative years because you know your schedule kind of allowed it, or were you you know kind of did your odd schedule kind of uh, raise some challenges there? No, I mean, even most comics at least get that, like, first couple days of the week to be home all the time. And uh, I've spent, yeah, I've spent quite a bit of time with them. I mean, if I'm not on stage somewhere, um, I'm with my family. That's my, I don't have um, or really need much of a social life. I, I prefer their company to everybody else's. Oh, man. I'm, so I'm a bit of a recluse when I come home. You know, I, I really just am involved in whatever the girls are doing or whatever my wife's doing or you know, my wife and I are just still writing. Also, we have a book coming out in March called, um, or supposed to come out in uh, March, uh, May, uh, called How to Keep Your Marriage from Sucking. So, hmm. you know, we're still always working on things. That's cool. Uh, I think my wife and I should write a book called uh, We Hate the Same Things. That's what keeps us together. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a bad idea. It's yeah, a funny title. Yeah, yeah, because she's constantly complaining. Facebook is a good source of her ire. Uh, she'll be going through it, and she'll be like, oh, I'm tired of people doing this and that, and it's like, oh, it's just so stupid, and you know, that'll set her off for the rest of the evening. It's pretty funny. Um, you know, I recently just stopped um, going on any of it. I mean, I have them for social media purposes, but I find I don't even work that well for that anymore. I don't really think my Facebook page helps my ticket sales, and I don't really even know if my Twitter feed does. And I, I there's just so much... Um, there's just so much. It's such an echo chamber of your own taste sometimes, and yeah, yeah. Um, there's just so much clatter out there. I find it unnerving, and so I just got off, and I just thought, I wonder what kind of art I would create if I was less plugged in and more um, you know, aware of my natural environment. 
And um, it's been, you know, so far so good. It's been um, pretty um, uh, nice, actually. Yeah, I've tried to dial back a bit, too. Um, but, of course, that's the way my wife and I communicate during the day. We don't even text. We just use the, the Facebook. And she has to be on Facebook for her work, so it's very convenient for her to communicate yeah. that way. But, um, yeah, it's it's strength because it's, it's, it provides a nice source of material for comedy for the podcast because I have a, a bit we do every couple weeks called It's Facebook, Not Factbook. And I usually examine right. something someone's put on sure. that's, you know, not true. And um, and the one thing, the coolest thing I found on the internet a couple of, on Facebook a couple weeks ago is that um, my favorite band is Orchestra Maneuvers in the Dark. And they did, and my sure. second favorite band is the Beach Boys, which we'll discuss in a minute because of your interest in surf music. But, um, so someone posts this thing in the OMD group, uh, I see these guys in surf shirts on stage on the OMD page. I'm like, well, that's kind of odd. So I click on it. It's the Beach Boys and OMD on stage at the same time singing Good Vibrations. My head exploded. Well, I mean, I mean you're only going to get that on the internet. Right. So that's one of the glory. Exactly. That's one of the glory things about the internet. But someone will always send you a good link. Yeah, yeah. I just have found, like, and it's also just personal. Look, some people just absolutely thrive on that. Sure. You know, and some people love it, and some people need it, and some people have been able to turn it into a career. You know, but for me, it just is not, I, I don't find myself as being organically inspired, and I don't find my work is as good when I'm connected to it for some reason and I don't know what it is. I find it distraction. And my wife's not on there. Yeah. Well, much at all either. So And as a live you know. performer and author and musician, that would kind of make sense. You're much much more outwardly expressive. And uh so which brings us to uh, now the reigning monarchs still in business, I think from your uh website it, it looks like they are. You know, we yes, we were really actually bearing down on our record and you know, I, I mean I don't know I mean, and I you know, I mean if you listen to party, you know, I had cancer last summer, yes. so that took a took a chunk of time out. Um, but I'm recovered now. But as as I recovered, you know, Blair, our drummer's been out with Adina Menzel and Mike's putting letters to Cleo back together making a new record. Oh, I know you so in that band. The, oh, wow. The Reigning Monarch stuff is sort of on a... It's all, we have a record that's literally just waiting for Mike to just to finish mixing, putting it together. So and he has the time. It's there. It's just an EP. But we... Um, but it's been hard to put it together. That's why I started the White Falcon, which is the drummer. I just wanted to oh, have okay. something like go out and bang it around, you know? Okay. Um, and play. I just like playing, you know? I don't really care even... I'm, I'm, having records but I want to go out and just play in front of people yeah oh, so wait who from Letters to Cleo is in Reigning Monarchs Mike Eisenstein the guitar player okay uh, the, Letters yeah. to Cleo's bass player I think Eric Riebling or Eric Riebling is his brother anyway he was in a band called the Affordable Floors in Pittsburgh who were managed by my good friend Bree Freeman back in the day oh okay yeah yeah, yeah Mike is uh, Mike's an incredibly talented guy unbelievably talented guy and then and, and, and a phenomenal guitar player. Love that. And a good producer and yeah, he's super talented. So but now we're we're at the beck and call of Letters to Cleo. Huh. Oh, are they back out on the road? Well they're gonna be. They're gonna make a record and they're gonna go back out. Oh great, good for those guys. I know she was uh yeah. she was doing songs for Disney. She does a cut like little bumper on Disney Channel. I saw a couple she did. Uh, did like yeah. Winnie the Pooh songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, and she writes for she writes for a Disney show. She writes songs for a Disney show, and I can't yeah. remember which one it is. But anyway, yeah, she's very talented. Okay. So, getting back to um, surf music now, what is your opinion of the aforementioned Beach Boys? I'm kind of because most people that like surf music, especially surf instrumental music, hate the Beach Boys. I don't hate the Beach Boys. <laughs> I mean, I don't. I they, I like them up to a certain era, you know. Yeah. And then. 
and then and then and then I don't like music almost at all. <laughs> so it's not the Beach Boys; it's everybody else too. Okay. Um, but I um, uh, but I don't have a problem with the Beach Boys at all. But I don't also I I classify surf music as the instrumental genre. Right. You know, the Beach Boys were a were shouldn't be lumped in surf music. They were a pop. You know, they were like an incredible pop band. You know, they were incredible. Um, they're just an incredible band. Yeah. You know, if you listen to those records, they're just as, you know, they're some of the things song for song are just as good as the Beatles or anybody else. Uh, yes. And uh, and a lot of people also consider them to be more of a vocal group even than uh, a band, which I think... Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure they are. Yeah. I mean, yes, you do call it surf music and Jan and Dean and all that kind of stuff. But I think most of when people were referring to surf music, they're talking about specifically Dick Dale and the right. Ventures and, yeah, yeah. you know, the Centurions and that kind of thing. So, what kind of music did you like grow up with? Then you're just a few years older than me. Was you were you interested in in surf instrumental music, or was it more uh, a rock or? Pop? I really well. My parents listened to a lot of soundtracks when I grew up, so I listened to a lot. I liked a lot of Ennio Morricone without it really understanding what it was when I was younger, and I think that's where the fascination with surf music started. You know, and then um, I like everybody else. I grew up with all the same bands and listened to all the same stuff, and got into Van Halen and listened to. You know, I went through a punk phase, and I went through a metal phase, and I went through, you know, I really like my favorite music probably still is all the, everything from the post-punk era. So, you know, everything that happened in, in, in London, and then, you know, like starting in like 79. Okay. All the way, you know, through the, through the 80s, and I really liked all the, you know, like I love Bow Wow Wow and Adam and Ant, and oh, you're talking. I like the punk bands, and I love the Clash, and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But then I also just really, I always liked surf music. I always liked rockabilly. I always liked that single note, you know, twangy guitar, that kind of stuff. And Johnny Marr. And, but I mean, that was really like the stuff I liked. And Link, and then Link Ray, you know, it was not really surf music, but one of the first really, maybe the first really big instrumental guitar player. And so what is your assessment of today's music? Do you like listen to it at all? Do your girls listen to it? Yeah, I usually like end up liking a song four years later. Then yeah. I'll, like I'll I'll say to them, I like this Alt J song, and they'll be like, "That's like four years old." <laughs> I'm like, "Oh, I okay, well that's cool." Um, I my wife is my wife and my girls are way more into it than I am. I usually um, when I, when the girls are in my car, I put on the hip hop station because it just makes me laugh. <laughs> and they laugh, and they both dance, and then they love, and they kind of like, and they, they kind of like it. They know who everyone is, even though they're kind of like half interested, but they know yeah, who yeah. everyone is from going to bat mitzvahs and whatnot. So they, you know, they know Wiz Khalifa and and all yeah. that kind of stuff, and and uh, and I get a kick out of it. I get a kick out of listening to it. Yeah, and, and I hate to be that guy, but I, I got, I still, um, and I can prove this almost scientifically. The best two decades for music are the '60s and the '80s. For the same reason is that we just had so much more variety. Someone here at work always leaves a Billboard magazine out in our free area, and I grab it and always look at the chart. And I like some of the songs on there just fine, but there really is a certain sameness to the chart now that I don't think you really were seeing back in the 80s and the 60s. I think so, too. And then it's also that a lot of music just being listened to privately at home and nobody knows what people are listening to. And that there's, you oh, know, yeah. there's not really radio stations as much anymore, and it's hard to channel what people actually like. And you know, you know, quietly metal never goes away, and you know, there's people that listen to death metal, and you know, there's bands that sell out that you've never heard of, and you know, it's unfortunately we're not all um, connected by it in the way that we used to be, which I think was good because we either universally liked or universally didn't like something, but there was sort of a sense that we were in it together, and now it's sort of like 
amorphous. But uh, at the same time, um, you can find everything, and that's neat. Yeah, and people recommend stuff to you and kind of like turn you on different things, sort of like back in the day, but now it's even a little easier. Instead of having giving somebody a mixtape, you can just, you know... Make them a play. Yeah, and then you get on YouTube and you go on a run of like I don't know, this this like sixties like um um big like you know like gospel or whatever like something spooky oh, yeah. like old fifties and forties gospel you know yeah you can go down the rabbit um, hole. We'll say again. You can go down the rabbit hole. Yeah, so that's kind of neat. I like you know I mean I like that. Those are those, that's part of the internet that I really like. You know I like that. I like that archaeological thing you can do on your own. But uh, it's good to be out with the three-dimensional people. I, I have to agree with you. <laughs> yeah, I just uh, sick last year. I started to realize that I wasn't thinking about my Facebook page. And I wasn't worried. You know, I was worried about spending time with people and connecting with people that I love and, yeah. and, I, and just being in the world more. You know, I just wanted more world experiences. I just wanted to be, you know, part of the part of the thing, part of the human experience with it more. And I didn't, I don't feel, I don't, I think there's, an, there's a kind of connection with the internet, but I also think there's a danger in it as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, yeah. I think the panic on there is like the stock exchange, and that's <laughs> why things like yeah. Donald Trump happen, and I think that's why things, you know, go as crazy as they do, and people get beat on so badly, and... Uh, at the same time, you know, it, the news cycle so fast that, like, people are missing huge facts, and it's just weird, you know? It's a, it's, I think it, it, it's tending, I think it's getting to be unhealthy, and I think it's getting, to be, we're getting to be a less thoughtful group because we're on to the next thing so quickly. Well, hopefully people, you know, are going to have the same experience we have where we're kind of starting to get worn out on it, you know, and maybe it, it kind of falls back to this position where something that's in our lives, certainly, but it's not something that's the, the focus Right, it, right, because it still has an, it's still pioneer days, and it's still, um, and it's still pretty neat and new, and there's always advances in technology and that kind of stuff, and, you know, it's always fun to get on there and see what you miss, but at the same yeah. time, you know, the, your world is happening right in front of you, you know? That's true. Um, and I was, we were kids, we were bored, man. Yeah. We were bored when we were kids. That's and true. I think there's some, there's some, great invention comes from boredom, and you also don't judge yourself. Because you have no place to compare it to. If you go compare yourself to the internet, you're definitely going to find someone who's doing what you're trying to do, and then you can get discouraged. And I think the more information you have, sometimes the less freedom you allow yourself. That's true. Because I always tell my girls, like you know, if you you think you've come up with a great idea, go on to YouTube or something like that, and you know, fifty other people already have done that. In fact, Weird Al says that he doesn't even as a song parody. He's got to go on to YouTube very quickly, and oh, oh crap, you know, like twenty people have already done this, you know, similar idea. So. <laughs> Right, but at the same, yeah, right, exactly, and uh, and that's just, and that's, I think that's you know, that's a bummer in a way. That's a that's a bummer. Dave and I, the reason walking room was so good was there was no paradigm for what we were doing, and so we just made it up. Um, and I, that doesn't mean people aren't doing that now with podcasts, but there was zero paradigm, and so we just made up what we were doing, and and I think that's why we had the success that we did with the people that we had the success with. And so I think, and and it also just coalesced really quickly because we just didn't compare it to anything. Yeah, you know, there was a great chemistry there. I enjoyed your joke at the uh, toward the beginning of the new podcast where you said that your uh, highly successful book could have been today could have been boiled down into one tweet. 
<laughs> would have been it, right? That could have been it. Yeah, that could have been it. Yeah. It would have got could have gotten lost in so much clatter. I'm probably very lucky. I'm a very lucky person. Did that, that did. Yeah, that would have did. You know. So uh, I mean, I, to my to my knowledge, maybe Steve Harvey, but I would say that was like the last book of its kind. Yeah. Maybe think like a man, but which is a, a kind of a warmed over version of our book. Right, right. And so the the comedy touring is going well. It has been going very well, much to my surprise. Yeah, I mean, my my agents have been really doggedly finding. I mean, there's just been there's been work out there for me, which I didn't expect. I'm going all over the places in places I've never been, you know, or haven't been in forever. And right. I was just in St. Louis this last weekend, and I don't think I've been there in literally 20 years. And I think and places gonna... like Louisville, Kentucky, where I've never been, and um, or where I'm coming in Ohio, like it's exciting, you know. Yeah, it's gonna. Uh, we're looking forward to it. Um, uh, I think that's really all the uh, questions I have here. Um, well, we're looking forward to seeing yeah. you at the end of the month in Cincinnati, and um, yeah. yeah, and I'll uh, I'll email your agent and try and get tickets sorted and things like that. But um, yeah, 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 yeah. I'll make sure you're taken care of. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Don't worry about Jake those guys. I'll take care of you. Awesome. And I'm glad you're doing better. I'm glad you're feeling better. Uh, that's great news. And, um, and uh, yeah, we'll see you at the end of the month. Sounds good, buddy. Take great. care. Great, man. Great. Thanks. Bye. Thanks again to Greg Brent for being on the show. You can catch Greg in Minneapolis Tuesday, March 8th through Saturday, March 12th at uh, the Acme Comedy Company, the very famous Acme Comedy Company there in Minneapolis. And then he's in the Cincinnati area, Thursday, March 31st through Sunday, April 3rd at the Funny Bone in Hamilton, Ohio. It's the new Funny Bone. We have uh, we have three of them now in the area between uh, Dayton and Cincinnati. So uh, do check him out if you can. If you need more information on Greg, you can go to his website. Don't go to gregbarrett.com. I'm guessing he let his domain lapse and then some like payday loan place took it over. It's really weird. So you need to go to pompahawkchopshop.com and uh, it's P-O-M-P-A then like hawkchopshop.com all one word and that will give you all things Greg Brent including the reigning monarchs and all the other stuff he's working on so do check that out uh, let's see uh, original music composed and performed by John Veropoulos and Doug O'Connor with a little help from me PF tape recorder logo designed by Dan Coble and uh, I guess that's all the business we have at hand for this week, except for the song of the week, which was picked out by Fangirl, uh, of course, who could not be with us this week because she is very, very, very busy. But she uh, suggested Sia's current single, which uh, just came out, I think, at the end of February. And uh, Radio One's been on this, and uh, we are on it to feature Sean Paul, who has worked with uh, Little Mix. I only know him from working with other people, Little Mix and uh, that Canadian band, what are they, they the uh, end of summer song. I can't remember, but it's tip my tongue I can't remember what it is but he's, I only know him from working with other artists and he is with Sia uh, with this on this song it's our song of the week Cheap Thrills Sia and featuring Sean Paul so long and thanks for listening come on come on turn the radio 